There. Welcome to our Soul Food Broadcast, a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. We're going to be covering 44 verses today. I'm not going to read them, so we will pray, though. Father, we do thank you just for another chance that we can gather together in your name and, and learn from your word. Just let your Holy Spirit enlighten us. Pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight my rock and my redeemer. Ask in Christ's name, amen. Welcome back to our study in 1 Samuel. We have a lot of material to cover, so let's dig in. Verse 1. Then Samuel died, and all Israel gathered together and mourned for him, and buried him at his house in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Now there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich, and he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and it came about while he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the man's name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. And the woman was intelligent and beautiful in appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his dealings, and he was a Calebite. That David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. We are told that the great prophet Samuel has died, and now we're introduced to a man named Nabal. Incidentally, his name in Hebrew means fool. In Psalm 14 we read, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The Hebrew word for that is Nabal. So the verse would literally read, The Nabal says in his heart that there is no God. We can only hope that the word fool was given to him as a nickname. You'd hate to think that the parents took one look at the kid and said, Henry, what do you think he looks like? Nadine, that's a fool if I've ever seen one. Now, to the ancient Hebrews, fool had nothing to do with IQ. It had more to do with the way that they conducted their lives. Fool is perhaps better translated today as jerk or bonehead or something like that. It's a person who is deficient in skills that they need to get along with other people. It's always an unpleasant shock to meet anyone like that, but they are everywhere, overbearing, contemptuous, and hard-hearted. We are next introduced to Nabal's wife. Now, Abigail cannot be more different than her husband. The marriage is a study in contrast. Her name means source of joy. Her appearance and character are also described as she is a woman of wisdom, intelligence, and elegance. She has beauty within and without. She's not ruled by her emotions, but is balanced, prudent, and smart as a whip. This is the Old Testament version of beauty and the beast. Look at verse 5. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, visit Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say, Have a long life. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. Now I have heard that you have shearers, now that your shepherds have been with us, and we have not insulted them, nor have they missed anything all the days they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. 
Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we have come on a festive day. Please give whatever you find at hand to your servants and to your son David. When David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in David's name. Then they waited. But Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants today who are breaking away from their master. So I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have slaughtered from my shears and give it to men whose origin that I do not know. Now David approached Nabal like a gentleman. He made sure his intentions were not misunderstood. The word peace occurs three times in verses 5 and 6. The Hebrew text says, Shalom to you, shalom to your house, and shalom to all that you have. Now David did not specify the sheep, the goat, or the crops, or how much he needed. He left that to Nabal's generosity and wisdom. And with 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, Nabal was a very wealthy man and could certainly afford to give David and his men some food. So David has come requesting some supplies. And upon first reading, it appears like David has like an Al Capone philosophy of ministry. He comes to Nabal and says, Hey, I didn't kill any of your men. I didn't steal any of your sheep. You owe me. That's the way it seems, but that's not the way that it is in that culture. Now, some modern commentators have accused David of working a protection racket like the mob does, where you extort money from people on the pretext of protecting them. But in reality, you're threatening to be the one who inflicts the damage if they don't pay. And although this wasn't mandatory, it was an ethical thing to do in that culture. It's kind of like our American custom of tipping when certain services are provided. And so it was generally expected in that culture to repay those who help protect your flock. Now, Nabal should have been grateful, not just for David's help, but also because David had spared the entire nation from the Philistines. And if you think about it, everything that Nabal owned had been riding on the stone in David's sling some years before. Because if David had not killed Goliath, most likely all of Nabal's livestock would have been owned by the Philistines. So David sends ten young men, which gives you an idea of what he thought would be fair. Enough food for ten men to carry. And in relation to all the protection they provided, that would be a mere pittance. Now even at a conservative estimate, if David and his men had provided Nabal a three to five percent loss from thieves or animals, we're talking hundreds of sheep that they saved. And in reality, it's an affront to David and his men that they weren't invited to the feast, considering all the protection that they had given them. So David's expectation is very logical. Any man with 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats could easily spare a few animals to feed 600 men who risked their lives to guard part of his wealth. But Nabal says, Why should I take my bread? And the meat I have slaughtered and give it away to strangers. This guy has an eye problem. It's all about him. Verse 12. So David's young men reacted, or I'm sorry, retraced their way and went back. And they came and told him according to all these words. David said to his men, Each of you gird on his sword. So each man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went up behind David, while 200 stayed behind with the baggage. David hears this and loses his religion. 
And so he says, strap on your swords, boys. Nabal's about to find out who David is. And he takes 400 men with him. David is completely out of control at this point. Have you ever heard someone say that they just can't control their anger or their temper? That's just not true. Example. You are screaming at your child and throwing things at your spouse, but if someone from the church knocks on your door, what do you do? You calmly open the door and sweetly say, So blessed to see you, sister. Praise the Lord. Everything is holy here. Glory to God. WWJD. But if we're not walking in the Spirit, it's easy to explode like David did. And this is the way David expressed his anger with Nabal. When Nabal went and paid David and his men what they were owed, David simply exploded. Now, in some cases, this type of person immediately regrets their anger. They're embarrassed, and they regret what they've said and what they've done, and they apologize and are very ashamed. James 1.19 says this, Remember this, my dear brothers and sisters. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and should not get angry easily. That verse teaches us don't respond impulsively. Think it through first. Proverbs 29.11 says, A stupid man gives free rein to his anger, but a wise man waits and lets it grow cool. The problem is, is that words come very easily when we're angry and when our adrenaline is running. I can be very brilliant when I'm angry. Sometimes I can think of some of the most hurtful and sarcastic things to say. And I think, this is going to taste delicious rolling off of my tongue. But when I do do that, I always regret it. Verse 14. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he scorned them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we were not insulted nor did we miss anything as long as we went about with them while we were in the fields. They were a wall to us both by night and by day, all the time we were with them tending the sheep. Now therefore, no one consider what you should do, for evil is plotted against our master and against all his household. And he is such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. Then Abigail hurried and took two hundred loaves of bread and two jugs of wine and five sheep already prepared and five measures of roasted grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs, and loaded them on donkeys. She said to her young men, Go on before me. Behold, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. It came about as she was riding on her donkey and coming down by the hidden part of the mountain, that, behold, David and his men were coming down toward her, so she met them. One of the servants tells Abigail all that has happened, and that there is a good chance that her husband is going to be dead in just a few minutes. And by the way, you know you have husband problems when someone can tell your wife, hey, your husband is an idiot. And all she can say is, yeah, I know, please pray for me. Now, before we look at what Abigail did, I want to ask you a question. What would you have done if you would have been in Abigail's shoes? Now, remember, this is a very bad marriage. She's a princess married to a toad. He's a no-good, greedy, foolish slime ball of a man. And their marriage was probably prearranged in childhood, as many Eastern marriages were. She probably had little to no say in the whole thing, 
but she has had to live with this man the entire time. Now suddenly, one day, she hears that there's somebody out there who's looking to kill the old goat. With all that, I ask you again, if you were in her situation, what would you do? I wonder how many women today, given a similar situation, would think, this is the best day ever. I can even imagine a smile playing across Abigail's lips. I'm surprised Abigail just didn't make herself an iced tea and say, I think I'm just going to watch the cooking channel until this thing plays out. But instead, she quickly prepares a feast for David and his men. Verse 21. Now David had said, Surely in vain I have guarded all that this man has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed all that belonged to him. And he has returned me evil for good. May God do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I leave as much as one male of any who belong to him. David, what is wrong with you? Well, one of the most wonderful things we have learned about you recently was your patience that you showed Saul. You learned to wait upon the Lord. You refused to lift your hand to touch the Lord's anointed, although he had been your enemy for many years. But now look at you. Your self-restraint has gone to pieces because of a few insulting words from a fool of a man like Nabal. And it's made you see red. You wonder, David, what's the matter? Now, David was a godly man and a gifted leader. But always remember this. The best of men are but men at best. And has that ever been your reaction? Doesn't it expose something that ought to make us cringe in the presence of God? For here is the ingrained sinfulness of the human heart, even when renewed by grace. Does it not show beyond all possible doubt that I cannot stand up against the enemy of my soul unless the Lord upholds me moment by moment? This story tells me that however long I may have been on the Christian path, however often I may have overcome one temptation or another, however many times I may have defeated sin in one area, it can strike in another area and crush me in a moment if my guard is down. I may have overcome great temptation by the grace of the Lord. I may have stood my ground against fierce onslaught of the enemy in one way or the other, and yet I can be tripped up by the smallest pinprick that gets under my skin. The victories that I win by the grace of God and through the power of the blood of Christ cannot impart to me strength for the future. No spiritual triumph in my life can give me power to resist the devil the next time he comes against me. There is anything that I may fall to at any time unless moment by moment I am being kept in the grace of God. Now David just isn't going to kill Nabal. He's going to kill all the males who are completely innocent concerning this. You've heard such things it's like killing a fly with a shotgun. How tragic it is after years of Christian experience The men and women saved by God's grace and redeemed by His blood and indwelt by the Holy Spirit can fall into a silly little trap just like that and ruin their entire testimony. Verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and dismounted from her donkey and fell on her face before David and bowed herself to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the blame. 
And please let your maidservant speak to you. And listen to the words of your maidservant. Please do not let my Lord pay attention to this worthless man, Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, since the Lord has restrained you from shedding blood and from avenging yourself by your own hand, now then let the enemies and those who seek evil against my Lord be as Nabal. Now let this gift which your maidservant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who accompany my Lord. Please forgive the transgressions of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil will not be found in you all your days. Should anyone rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, then the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will sling out as from the hollow of a sling. So in verse 23, Abigail dismounts from her donkey and falls on her face, prostrated before David. It embarrasses me to tell you this, but sometimes Connie does this when I come home from work. It's a source of constant awkwardness at the Scott household. But what can you say to the woman? That's just how she feels about me, Steve. Please don't tell her I said that. Now, I think that we get a clue as to what first attracted David to Abigail. And no, man, it's not because she fell at his feet as a slave. That's not what is happening here. And if you expect the women in this room to do that for you, you're going to be a lonely, lonely man. Now, let me chase a little rabbit here. Ladies, it's not a godly and good thing to make wisecracks about your husband in front of other people. And Abigail does seem to be husband bashing here. In verse 25, she says, Pay no attention to Nabal. His name is Fool, and folly goes with him. And it may seem that she is trying to undermine him, but the truth is she is acting in his best interest. She's trying to save his life. One of the most destructive things you can do to your husband is to magnify his faults in the presence of others. Personally, having no faults, I don't know about such things, but I understand there are other husbands in here who are not perfect. Verse 30, you don't have to laugh like that. Verse 30, before the lightning strikes. And when the Lord does for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and appoints you ruler over Israel, this will not cause grief or a troubled heart to my Lord, both by having shed blood without cause and by my Lord having avenged himself. When the Lord deals well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed be your discernment, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from bloodshed and from avenging myself by my own hand. Nevertheless, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from harming you, unless you had come quickly to meet me, sure there would not have been left in Nabal until the morning light as much as one male. So David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, Go up to your house in peace, so I have listened to you and granted your request. This is perhaps the greatest example in the entire Bible of the verse, A soft answer turns away wrath. Now, when the Lord isn't allowed to rule in our lives, sometimes he will step in and overrule. 
He saw that David was about to act rashly and foolishly, so he arranged for a wise and courageous woman to stop him. Listen to one commentator's restatement of Abigail's message to David. Abigail says, in effect, Your task, David, is not to exact vengeance. Vengeance is God's business, and you're not God. You're out here in the wilderness to find out what God is doing and who you are before God. The wilderness is not an experimental station in which you test yourself to find out how strong and resilient you are. It is where you discover the strength of God and God's faithful ways of working in and through your life. Nabal is a fool, but don't you also become a fool? One fool is enough in this story. That's very good insight. She's saying, David, you're going to be king one day. Don't lower yourself to Nabal's level and become like a common thug. This would be like the Queen of England and another old lady getting in a fist fight and pulling hair because the lady made fun of her hat or something. Abigail is saying, David, the song says, Saul is slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. You don't want to change that to Saul is slain his thousands, and David is slain his ten thousands, and one idiot farmer. It just doesn't sound as cool. John Maxwell has said, Servanthood is not difficult to find. It is only difficult to achieve. But the spirit of Abigail's approach is filled with servitude. Over the course of those ten verses, she addresses David as her Lord eight times and labels herself as a maidservant to him six different times. She is a study in wisdom. She doesn't come accusing David of barbaric action. Instead, she comes and appeals to his godly attributes. Now, David's backing down from this is really breathtaking. From bloodletting rage to apparently calm thankfulness to God, for Abigail's intervention. He gratefully acknowledged the wisdom and goodness of everything that Abigail had said. Verse 36. I know you can smell Rita's ham. I'm hurrying. Then Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she did not tell him anything at all until the morning light. But in the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him, so that he became as a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. Abigail finds Nabal drunk and waits until the morning to tell him just how close he had came to death. It was seen that Nabal had some type of mini-stroke and died about ten days later. Verse 39 when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant from evil. The Lord has also returned the evil doing of Nabal on his own head. And David sent a proposal to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her, saying, David has sent us to you to take you as his wife. She arose and bowed with her face to the ground and said, Behold, your maidservant is a maid to wash the feet of my Lord's servants. Then Abigail quickly arose and rode on a donkey with her five maidens who attended her, and she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. David had also taken Ahonium of Jezreel, and they both became his wives. Now Saul had given Michael his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was from Galam. David said, Blessed be the Lord, who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal, and has kept his servant back from evil. 
Now remember, David just last week showed incredible wisdom when he didn't kill Saul. He even felt terrible about cutting a piece of his robe off. Now here's what you need to know this morning. This is a great spiritual key. I want to reiterate the point one more time because it is so very important. When you have victory over a great temptation, you will often very shortly be vulnerable to a smaller one. Because you had victory over something big, you think, I can handle this little thing now, no problem. But now our guard is down. And very often the Lord will allow us to see just how much we need Him when it comes to resisting any kind of temptation. Now David had just shown incredible wisdom and restraint and not lopping off Saul's head. But the truth of spiritual life is that when you have a victory over a great temptation, you are always vulnerable to a smaller one. As the Song of Solomon declares, it's the little foxes that destroy the vines. That's the way that it often is. It's not the big battles that will get us. It's not the big temptations. It's not the big challenges. It's the little problems. It's the little foxes. It's interesting to me, and I think it's an interesting lesson. It's fascinating how, like David, we can be so patient. And as David had over his entire life, endure the insults of his family. And then the insults of Goliath. And then he endured months and years of insults of being disrespected by Saul. But it never caused him to go off the deep end. But the one that gets him is this fool that comes out of nowhere in life. And so, too, that can often be the way it is with us. It's the one that takes us by surprise. Do you know why? Because when you face a Saul or you face a Goliath, you are ready for them. You wake up in the morning and you know these guys are going to be trying to get me. And so you pray about it. You prepare yourself spiritually that day to fight them. And so when they do come along, we handle them in a spiritual way. But it's the fool that cuts us off in traffic or the person who gets in front of us in line at Walmart that can often make us see red if we're not careful. Now, David takes Abigail as a second wife. Now, the Bible doesn't endorse or condone this. It just records it. I don't know why any man in his right mind would want more than one wife. I mean, who wants two or three honeydew to list? But that's, that's just me. Especially since Connie's the perfect wife. If you're taking notes, that's called damage control. Now, in closing, we cannot coast into the day on yesterday's grace is what I want us to see. There may be a cruise control on our car, but there is no cruise control when it comes to the spiritual life. You cannot coast from one day to the next. Now, nobody would say to their children, you ate yesterday, so you should have enough energy to get through tomorrow. I'll feed you again later. Now, why do we so often treat our spiritual life exactly that way? If you only get your spiritual feeding on Sundays, you're going to be weak for a week. We must be very aware that it's by grace that we have already received in the past that will enable us to stand today. So we need to depend on God from day to day and from moment to moment. We must learn that the Christian life is a succession of holy moments in which we count on His grace and His strength to see us through. And that is the best and the wisest way to live. And Father, we do thank you. It is so easy, Lord, to think we have things under control, only to have you reveal something in our lives that embarrasses us and humiliates us. 
and let's just see how far we actually can be from you if we try to do things in our own flesh. We're thankful, Lord, that you have given us your Holy Spirit to indwell within us. And we know that if we walk in the Spirit, Lord, we won't fulfill the desires of the flesh, but we can live a holy and a sanctified and a pleasing life. And as I said, Lord, that is the best way to live. Make that true for us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Since we're not going to have a song, I guess I should pray. And if you're new here, we go out this door.